But go ahead right now and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verse 12 through 16. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this day, Lord. I thank You so much for another opportunity to preach Your Word. And dear Lord, I pray that it will speak to hearts. And Lord, I pray You'll help them this morning to see the blessing of conviction. In Your name we pray. Amen. That's the title of my message this morning. The Blessing of Conviction. You know, one of the amazing things about the Bible is its convicting power that it has. You know, the Word of God, it literally can hurt you when you hear it sometimes. That's why so many people hate it. That's why uh, people are offended by seeing the Ten Commandments. You know why? That's the Word of God and it's convicting. They see some of those commandments on there, ones that they know that they broke and it, it cuts to the heart. The Bible uses that term a lot. It convicts them. And the truth is that the conviction, it comes from the Word of God and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. And it's truly, it's, I believe, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest blessings that you can receive from God. And we're going to look at why that is. Most people today, they don't like conviction. If they come to church and they get convicted, they won't, they don't want to come back. They don't like, they don't like that they want to just hear the stuff that makes them feel good. You know, there's nothing wrong with hearing things that make you feel good, but sometimes we need to be convicted. Sometimes there's things in our life that God is trying to work out of us or something that He's wanting us to do. And when that happens, He convicts us. And while many people try to run from it, the truth is they're running away from something that they ought to be running to. I'm telling you, when God convicts your heart, and maybe in the last couple of weeks He has convicted your heart about some things, but I want you to see where that is a blessing. That this It's in no way a bad thing that this is a great blessing when that happens. And the first reason that I believe that conviction is a blessing is because it means that God is speaking to you. You know, God is not going to be able to speak to you without you getting convicted. It says in verse 12 of the passage we just read, it says the Word of God is quick. That word quick there, it basically means, it doesn't mean like fast, but it means it's alive. This Bible, this is a, this is a living book. It's alive. It uses that, verse, that reference a few times, that word, quick. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, those, those swords, they, they cut. They hurt. They get they can get to the vitals and they they can kill a physical sword and the word of God it's like that sword the Bible says it pierces even the dividing asunder I mean it is what gets to our heart sometimes boy we're callous and sometimes people can be hard you can think these people have no hope that no I I can't get through them nobody can get through to them but I'm here to tell you that the word of God can this word this Bible is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper. 
than any two-edged sword. It could get through to anybody. I believe that. And when the Bible, but the Word of God, no, it's the Word of God. It's God's Word to us. When God speaks to us, it's going to be convicting. You know, God, He can see all of our faults. The Word of God, it reveals our faults too. It's verse 13, or it says at the end of verse 12, it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It knows what you're thinking. You know, sometimes we can be doing things that are good, but our intentions aren't good. But you know, as humans, we can't really tell. But I tell you what, God can. And when you start reading His Word, you're going to find it'll reveal that to you sometimes. Sometimes we see things in the Bible about ourselves that we don't want to see. We, you know, we can deceive our own selves sometimes. And you know, we can, we can think we look like maybe, uh, when we're getting, you're getting ready for church. Most of you, I imagine, probably looked in a mirror, didn't you? Why do you, why do you look in a mirror? You do that because you want to see if everything's okay. You know, if I combed my hair without a mirror, I don't have that much to comb. I might be able to get away with it. But if I did, chances are it's not gonna, it's not gonna look that good. Right, it's very important that you that you look. You know, you want to straighten up the tie. And then, you know, ladies, I know you got a lot more you got to worry about with the makeup and everything. But try try doing the makeup and stuff without without a mirror. You have that mirror there because you want you want to know if there's a problem. You want to know. You don't want to be going around and having stuff all over your face and food in your teeth and have everybody looking at that and seeing it. You want you go and you look in a mirror on purpose. You want to know the truth. And the Word of God it says in James, it's like a man beholding his face in a glass or in a mirror. When we look in the Bible, we see who we really are. And I tell you, there's been times when I've went and I've looked in the mirror and I saw that I had something on my face that had come from my nose or I had something in my teeth and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, did anybody see me like that? And it, and I, it, it kind of scares me. It hurts. I'm like, oh, oh no. That's what I look like, and that's what happens in the Bible. We see who we really are, and you know, we can go through, we can go through life, and we can make ourselves feel pretty good about ourselves, but when we get to looking into the law of God, when we get to looking in this spiritual mirror, sometimes we see things that it convicts. We see who we really are. And so many people, they would just rather not look, and you would all, if I came to church and I just looked terrible, I mean, my, I had stuff all over my face, and you're like, you know, have you ever said to somebody, go look in a mirror? Or did you look in a mirror? And I'm saying, I'm not going to look in the mirror, it's too depressing. I don't want to see what I look like. I don't want to know. You would think, what's wrong with you? Just go. You can take care of those things if you just look in the mirror. And a lot of times that's how people are spiritually. They don't want to look in the Word of God. They don't want it. They don't want to find out. They don't want to know the truth. And the truth, and because the Word of God, it convicts. It's going to point those things out to us. It says in verse thirteen, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him whom we have to do. It uses that. It uses the term naked there. You know why? Because there's nothing hidden with God. Okay, there's things that we can all hide. Uh, there, you know, we. You know, we use clothes to hide things. We can, you know, ladies, you can use makeup to even, you know, hide some of the blemishes and flaws that may be there. But you know what? When God sees us, and when we look at ourselves through the Word of God, none of that's there. You see the real picture. There's no hiding it. But but fortunately, when God's speaking to us, notice here how it says in verse 15. It says, "For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities." 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What that passage is saying, it says this word, this high priest we're talking about, which is Jesus Christ, it says it's not one that does not know what we feel. He knows what we feel. He knows what we're going through. Jesus Christ, those years that He lived on earth, He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to be you. He was tempted in all the same ways that you've been tempted. Maybe it was different things. They didn't have the same. They didn't have the same stuff back then. But there was the same basic temptations took place: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's pretty much all temptation goes in those three categories. And he had all of that. But what the difference with Jesus, he never sinned. He still never sinned, but he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling. And it says in verse 16 that we can come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever done something wrong? And you needed to go to somebody to tell them, and maybe you were terrified. At what they were going to say. I could. I remember there was one time, and I hate to even tell this story because my dad told this story all the time when he preached, and it drove me nuts. But uh, I got tired of hearing about it. But it's, it illustrates a good. When I was a kid, uh, I had a BB gun, and we lived in a farmhouse that we rented, and we there were these windows up in the corn crib, and they were already broke, and so we decided to break them more, and we were shooting them with the BB gun. Well, the landlord didn't know that they were broken. He was up there one time and he noticed the little BB holes in these windows. And he went to my dad and he had asked if we'd been shooting the windows. And my dad, he went and came and asked me if I'd, if I'd shot those windows with a BB gun. I told him yes. I was like, but they were already broken. He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you, those weren't your windows. You don't be, you're not supposed to be shooting windows with your BB gun. He said, you're going to have to go out his name is Mr. Brandenburg. You're going to have to go out and tell Mr. Brandenburg that you shot those windows out and you're going to have to tell him that you're going to pay for them. I lost it. I was crying. I was scared to death. And I remember I went to him just terrified. And I told him I shot the windows. I'm sorry. I'll pay for him. And he was real nice. He told me I didn't have to pay for him. He he gave me a hug. He said he forgave me. And he was super nice about it. But I'm telling you, I was terrified when I went to him. Did you know that when we sin against God, we don't have to be that way? Now, we probably should. When we when we sin against God, we ought to be sorry. We ought to be sad at what we did. We ought to feel bad. But the Bible says we can approach the throne of grace boldly, and we can find mercy and help in that time of need. God will always forgive you of whatever that sin is in your life. And whenever God points something out to you in, in, through conviction, and you're feeling bad about something, don't run from it. Just get it right. Go to God. He'll He'll forgive you for it. He will forgive you. He will be merciful to you. You know, we we sang Amazing Grace. Grace is an unmerited favor. It's something that we don't deserve. God, just the simple fact that we don't have to go to hell, that's grace. We don't deserve that. But God gives it to us. But you know, mercy, mercy takes it a step farther. Mercy is God doing good to us when we deserve bad. And that's what God does even when we do wrong. When we go to Him for forgiveness, He will give us mercy. Not only do we not get what we deserve, we get something good that we don't deserve. What an amazing thing that is. But you know what? We're not going to ever get to that point where we approach the throne of grace boldly without that conviction. If that conviction, you need that. When you feel that, 
You need to find out what it is God's convicting you about and you get it right. And you can find that grace. You can find mercy. And what an exciting thing that is. But also, not only is God speaking to you when you're being convicted, but it's also a reminder that God has a plan for you. That He's about to show you. Go to the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. The book of Acts the apostle, this this story, uh, we're gonna just kind of hit some of the highlights about a man uh, by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a very religious, uh, zealous Jew, and he hated the Christians. Saul, he was a persecutor of the Christians. Paul had Christians put to death. Paul, I mean, was a murderer. Paul hated Christians. And the very first martyr that there, that there ever was after the time of Christ, the very first one we read about in the Bible was a man named Stephen. A man full of faith. A man full of the Holy Ghost. And Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he's going, he's preaching to these Pharisees. A group of very religious people, but very lost people. And he's preaching to them. And it says in verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were, you know what that was? That was conviction. They were convicted, man. It was hurting. That's how powerful the conviction was. Because Stephen, he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. And boy, when you get that, somebody full of the Holy Ghost preaching, it's gonna convict. And it says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They got mad. I mean, they're just, they're angry. I mean, they're just as mad as you can get. And it says in verse 55, "...but He being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God." Did you know this is the only place in the Bible where you see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? He's usually seated. I've heard some people say that they believe that that was Jesus showing His respect and His approval of what Stephen was doing and there was Stephen was about to be killed. And it was Jesus kind of showing Stephen that He was there and getting ready to receive Him. But I've heard some people say that they believe that this was actually Jesus. He was wanting to receive the Jews. He was wanting to save these Jewish people that Stephen was preaching to. He was there ready to save them. He was there ready to accept them. But that they got mad. They didn't want to listen. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they got angry. And then in verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then listen to this. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon Him with one accord. They, the conviction was so powerful that these people, they literally started to plug their ears. They did not want to hear it. And they ran on Him and they... And then verse 58, "...and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep." What an amazing story this was about Stephen. But notice this man that was mentioned here, Saul. They laid down their coats. There was a guy there holding the coats of the people who were killing this great man of God. And his name was Saul. And in the very next chapter, in the first verse, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Paul was the man who gave these people the authority. He was the authority figure there that was consenting, that was allowing these people to put Stephen to death. And he's there and he's holding the coats. And no doubt, Paul also was very convicted during this. And we're going to see why here in chapter 9. We read a little bit more about Paul, but I believe that Paul, he was there and he was listening to that message. And Paul, or Saul, I mean, he was getting mad. He's getting angry. And Saul allowed these people, he gave these people the authority to go ahead and kill this man of God. And Saul began a persecution that scattered the Christians all over the place. And he would, he would go around and he would, he would kill people. And he, he would kill Christians. He would have them put into prison. He would take entire families. Saul was a wicked, wicked man. And he heard the preaching of the work of God and it convicted him. I mean, it just, it, it cut to his heart. But then, in chapter 9 of Acts, we see another, a little bit later on, it says, "...and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest." He's still he's still killing people. He's still going after them. He's threatening them. He's trying to scare them. He's slaughtering them. And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He's trying to get the authority to do even greater harm to these people. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, I am Jesus, who you persecute. Saul of Tarsus, not only was he just going after God's people, not only was he going after the Christians, he was persecuting Jesus Christ. And he said, and then Jesus makes a statement to Paul here that's a little unusual. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What that's talking about is back in the Bible times they had these ox goads and they had these sharp points on the end. And sometimes if those oxes, they would get stubborn sometimes and they wouldn't keep walking or they wouldn't go the way they're supposed to. And they would poke them with these, with these goads and it would get them to continue walking and it would get them to, to move on and he's going, and, and spiritually that's what was happening to Paul. God was convicting him. He was pricking him. It was like, it was just like this, it was like a, a prodding and you may have felt that before in your heart. You feel something speaking to you. You feel that like there's, you know, God's trying to get a hold of it and it hurts and you don't like it, but you know, when that happens, God is trying to show you His plan for you. And it goes on in verse 6 and says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When you feel God convicting you, that's something you ought to say to him. Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Rise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So he tells him first, he says, I want you to go to the city. You know what? God doesn't always just lay his entire plan out for you. He wants us to walk with Him daily and He'll show you just kind of one step at a time what you're supposed to do. In the book of Psalms, chapter 119, you don't need to turn there. Verse 105 says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word is what shows us what we're supposed to do next with our life. And He told him, He said, First I want you to go to the city and then I'll show you what to do. 
And it said, The men which journeyed with him, in verse 7, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat or drink. And then he goes on, and there's a man named Ananias who came and he and he healed Saul, and Saul got his sight back. And then later, God changed, or in this passage, we see God changes Saul's name to Paul. That's why I get confused and I go back to Saul and Paul back and forth. He called him Paul. Because Saul was a new man now. He's not Saul anymore. Now he's Paul. Now that he's been saved, he's a, he's a new creature. God forgave him all those things he did in the past. And Paul became probably, many would say, the greatest Christian that ever lived. The Apostle Paul, he's the one who wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He wrote Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus, and Philemon. All those. A big section of the New Testament. All written by Paul. And Paul, Jesus, He made a statement to him. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And you know, when you go to church and when you get around the Word of God, God's going to convict you. He's going to be pricking at you. You know what He's doing? He's trying to get you to move forward. He's trying to get you to make that next step in your, in your walk with Him. He's trying to get you to do better. He's encouraging you. And He, and he pricks at you. And, and that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And people don't like it. But I'm here to tell you that that is a blessing. God is trying to show His plan for you. There are so many people, they say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Part of the problem is, is they've, been, they've ran from the conviction. They've gotten out of church. They've gotten away from their Bible. They've gotten away from all the things that God uses to prick at us. And one of the things that, if you want that in your life, you've got to be around it. You've got to get into the Word of God. You need to read it. You need to come to the house of God and listen to the preaching. And you need to pray and let God speak to your heart and let Him convict you. And when you do, He'll show you what to do next. But also, sometimes when He's, when He's pricking at us, He's also, and He's convicting us, He's trying to stop us from doing something that's going to bring us pain. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, He told His disciples, He said, My yoke is easy. Or he said, Come unto Me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. Did you know, when you are in the will of God, I'm not going to tell you that it's always easy. There's going to be some challenges. But I can always tell you this, that it's a whole lot easier than what the devil has for you. It might mean you have to do some things that are harder now. But ultimately, it's going to make, it's going to make your life better. I use this example a lot with people. It's a whole lot easier in the morning instead of getting up and going to work to stay home and watch TV or to sleep in. That's easier, isn't it? But you know what? It makes paying your bills a whole lot harder, doesn't it? It makes it keeping your job a whole lot harder. And it brings a lot of other stress to your life when you're doing the easy things in those areas. And that's what happens. People spiritually, many times they do the easier things, but then it makes other things so much harder for them. It makes their life so much more difficult. And if when you do when you do the will of God, when you follow His word, He's going to convict you. And he's going to try to get you to avoid some of the dangers that are out there. 
He's going to try to get you to avoid some things that He knows is going to cause you pain. There's a lot of commandments that are in the Bible that people don't want to hear. They think that's too hard, but the truth is, it's saving you from so much pain. I mean, you think about the Ten Commandments. That I don't know why the Ten Commandments are so offensive. But yet, people, they don't want to hear about it. They get convicted about something like, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what? It may be easy to commit those sins, but it's really hard to have a good marriage if you're committing adultery, wouldn't you agree? You know, it's, it might be easier sometimes to maybe just steal something, but if you get caught and you go to prison, your life's going to be a lot harder, isn't it? It's going to be a lot more difficult. If you're, if you're, if you're breaking all those commandments, if you kill somebody, it might be easier to just lose your temper sometimes and to just go and kill. But then you're going to have to do the time for it. You're going to have to live with the guilt of it. You're going to have to go to prison. You're not going to be able to have the peace. And we've got to. And God's trying to keep us from doing things that are going to bring pain and destruction to our life. We don't always understand why God doesn't want us to do some things, but we should trust Him the same way we expect our children to trust us. You know, little kids, they don't understand why they can't go play in the street. My daughter Allison... She's a year and a half old. Sometimes she doesn't understand why we won't let her play around steps or why we won't let her, you know, just go outside when she wants to go outside. You know, little kids, they can't do that. They don't understand at that young age the dangers of going and getting hit by a car. They don't understand that. We live right by a pretty busy highway. And if we were to let her play in the front yard, it wouldn't take long at all, and she could be out on that road and get hit by a car. And you all, there's nobody in here would think that I was a terrible parent. If you came by my house and I saw my daughter playing in the front yard, and I'm like, well, you know, I feel like we just need to let her do what she wants to do and just let her be her own person and do her own thing. And, you know, if she gets hurt, you know, it'll be a good lesson for her. You say, what kind of parent are you? She can't possibly understand the consequences of getting hit by a car going 60 miles an hour. But none of you would think I was a terrible parent if I went and I restrained her and I stopped her from running out in the street. We were at a restaurant one time and there was a mom, she's carrying a little baby in a car seat and she had another young child who was probably about two, three years old. And I remember she opened the door and that, and she let go of her son for a minute and he just took off running as fast as he could, made a beeline for the road. And that, and thank God no cars were coming, but he got out, she caught him in the middle of the road. And I remember it was a scary thing, but at the same time it was kind of funny. She went and she ran out there and she grabbed his arm and while she's grabbing him, she's pulling him off the road and all at the same time and spanking him all at the same time. You know what? I didn't think, what a terrible parent. She just gave her son a spanking. You know, she didn't let him go running into the street when he wanted to. I didn't think what to I thought that's a good mom right there. That kid just got what he deserved. He has no clue what could have happened to him. And we're the same way spiritually. We don't understand all the time what sin can do and the destruction that it could bring to our lives. And sometimes we just need to trust God the same way we expect our children to trust us as parents. And that God is trying to protect us from from some things that we have no idea how much destruction, how much pain they could bring. You know, the Word of God, it often ruins our plans for doing evil. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A lot of times what people got, we plan on doing bad. We've got things that we want to do 
and that we know are wrong and we can't stand when we get convicted about it. You'll come to church and maybe there's something that you're planning on doing that you know you shouldn't. You've got, you've got an idea in your head of something that you want to do that you, you know isn't right but you've ignored it. You haven't been reading your Bible. You haven't even been praying about it. And then all of a sudden the pastor gets up and he preaches on that very thing. It's like, how did he know? He didn't know. You know, but God did know. The Holy Spirit did know. And He's using that to try to convict your heart because He's trying to protect you from some great pain. And it does. It, it'll, it'll kill your plans of doing evil. There may be somebody right, you know, you, you may be sitting in church and maybe you're mad at your neighbor. Boy, and you've just, you've got something all planned on the way you're going to get even with them. And then you hear, uh, you come to church that day and then you hear a message on forgiveness. You hear a message on loving your neighbor. It's like, how did God know? Because He knows everything. It's the Word of God. It's powerful. It's it's alive. It's this is a living Bible. It'll show you those things. So conviction. It's a blessing because one, it means that God's speaking to you. Two, it means that God has a plan for you that He's about to show you. And then three, and this is exciting too. It means that God is not done with you. Do you know the most scary place you could ever be in your life is when you're in a position where God is no longer speaking to you. Where God's not convicting you. Boy, that is a dangerous place. You don't ever want to get in that position. Acts chapter 9 and verse 13 through 15. This verse is exciting. God has told Ananias, He said, I want you to go and I want you to, I want you to go see this man Saul. And I want you to heal him of his blindness. And it says in verse 13 that Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And I says, I know, I've heard about this guy, Lord. I don't think you want me to go heal this guy of his side. I think he's better off blind. Because this guy, he's bad news, Lord. And it says in verse 14, And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. He said, this guy could have me put into prison. Saul had a reputation. And it wasn't a good one. And you know what? God's people, they were done with Saul. He was an enemy. There's another passage later in the Bible about how when Saul had gotten saved and people were hearing that he was preaching that the disciples of Jesus, they didn't accept him at first. But Barnabas, Barnabas, he was a great man of God. He was known for just being encouragement to people. And Barnabas got the disciples to accept Paul. They were nervous about him because they had heard about him. They didn't trust him. But it says in verse 15, it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right here, God says, Paul is a chosen vessel. He said, I have a special plan for him. I'm going to do great things with this man named Paul. You know what? God was not done with Paul. God was not finished with him. You know what? After all those things that Paul did, every Christian that lived during that time and every person who's ever read the Bible, if we would have read in that story that Paul was on the road to Damascus, he's on his way to kill Christians, he's on his way to go and try to hurt the people of God, that if God would have struck him down on that road, we'd have been like, hallelujah, that's exactly what he deserved. But you know what? God had a different plan. God knew that even though Paul or Saul was a wicked man, God knew that He could change him. God had a plan for him. And God told Ananias, He said, I'm not done with Saul. I've got something special for him. 
He's going to do some great things. And you know, the world, they may think that you're without hope and useless. But you know, if God's still speaking to you, if He's still convicting you, it means He still has something great for you to do. He still has something. He's trying to get you to take that next step. He's not going to lay the whole thing out to you. Did you know this? the Apostle Paul, this man, while we say we say he was probably the greatest Christian that ever lived, he went through some of the most horrible things any other Christian ever went through too. He was stoned. He was beat with rods. Several times he had received 39 lashes. He was shipwrecked. Uh, he, I mean, he. There's, there's a passage where he goes through and he names off all these things that happened to him. He suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He was thrown in prison many times. The song we sang. He's in the midst. He got thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, and that was after they beat him and Silas. And you know what he did in the prison? He was singing praises. But you know what? At that moment, if God would have told, if God would have told Paul, listen, I'm going to have you be a preacher. You're going to go. You're going to get beat with whips several times. You're going to get beat with rods. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be thrown into prison. You're going to go through all these things. If God would have told Paul the whole story, then Paul probably would have taken off running. He'd have probably he'd have probably killed himself. I don't know what he would have done. You know what? God, and a lot of times there's things that if if we knew if you knew what all God had planned for you, you'd probably be scared to death. But the truth is. If God has a plan for you, He's going to give you the ability to do it. You might think, if I was to say, say, you know, God has a plan for you to be a Sunday school teacher. Man, you'd run out of here and never come back. You know, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I couldn't do that. But you, I tell you, if, God, if that, it's God's plan for you, He'll give you the ability to do it. And someday you'll do it and you will love it. And you'll talk about how, boy, I tell you, if you'd have told me five years ago that I'd be teaching a Sunday school class someday, I'd have said, you're nuts. But that's what happens when God works in your life. And when He's convicting you, it's because God is not done with you. God has something special for you. And as long as when you feel that convicting, boy, you ought to be, you ought to be seeking after it. You ought to be trying to find it. You ought to go to the Bible and just go and say, Lord, what, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Lord, show me what I need to change in my life. Lord, what do you want me to do next? Lord, I'm, I'm doing what I know to do now, but Lord, I know there's more that you want me to do. Lord, what next? What next? And then you go and you, you read the Bible, you pray, you go to church, and God will start convicting you. You know what? He starts, there's going to be things that He's going to want to take out of, maybe that He wants to take out of your life. And then there's going to be other things that He wants you to add into your life. And just one step at a time, there's a song that we sing with the kids called Little by Little, Inch by Inch. By the yard it's hard, but by the inch, what a cinch. And that's the way God works. Just little by little. And that convicting, He uses conviction. And sadly, it's what most people run from. I talked to a guy one time and he, uh, I was inviting him to church. And he said that he told me about another Baptist church that he went to. And he said, I don't like that Baptist church. Said that said every time I go there, that preacher makes me feel bad. I told him, said, that's a blessing. That's what's that's what's supposed to happen. God's trying, He's trying to help you, He's try, he's, he's convicting you so you can do better things for Christ. And I'm not here, and I don't my goal isn't to make you feel bad. Okay? I don't, I, I'm not trying to do that. But the truth is, if we keep sinning in our life, if we do wrong, that's gonna make you feel bad all by yourself. And you know, we could come to church and I could say a bunch of nice fluffy things that sound great and make you feel good, but you know what? Those things aren't what changes people's lives. It's the conviction of God. 
It's the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And more than I tell you, one of the most important things you ought to look at when coming to church or going to church is is God speaking to me when I go there? Am I being convicted? That and never run from that. If God's convicting you, it means that God is speaking to you. That's a blessing. It means that God has a plan for you and He's about to show you what to do next. And three, it means that God is not done with you. So the big question really is, is when God convicts you, will you listen? Will you do what He says? Let's stand together this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed.